This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. This is our final session of Fixing Us, our series on marriage. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been beneficial. We've gotten a tremendous amount of response from uh, people and other places. Uh, I mean, actually, we've been getting requests from, I got a request uh, late last night, which was the morning there from, uh, you know, another country. And uh, they said, is there any way that we can watch, listen to your podcast? And I contacted Stephen. And he said, we're working on that because we've had several requests from uh, people in other countries that actually want to uh, be able to listen to the podcast on the marriage. Isn't it something how that this is universal, this need, this sense of a need in marriage that we want our marriage to be better, where people are desiring to have the best out of marriage. And I guess also with the fact that life can be so pressurized, especially now with the economic crisis and all of the things that, that have gone on in, in our world. And people all over the world literally have felt for years the, the, the pressure economically. And, you know, you take someone that's living already in an environment where uh, the finances are a lot uh, tougher or it's a lot uh, tougher situation than we find ourselves here in, in uh, perhaps uh, East, uh, in uh, America or in uh, in this part of the world, but uh, when all of a sudden, when f- they go through economic problems in the world, you know, they're, they don't just go along with, or uh, they feel it a lot worse. Uh, they already are having problems, and their problems are magnified. And so, you know, all of those things put m- pressure on our marriage, on our relationships, And if we're not careful, we can allow outside circumstances to dictate our internal personal destinies and our own desires. And we can lose things because of things out here. We can lose things that really, at the end of the day, if you sat down and talked about it, you'd say, well, my marriage means more than the the house or the car or, you know, uh, how much we have in the bank, my marriage really means more than that. You know, would I, you know, would I trade my marriage for $10,000? No, I'd rather have my marriage and have a good marriage. But we allow those outside pressures to come in and and squeeze us and mold us uh, to where that we become conformed to them, our marriage becomes conformed to them, And all of a sudden, we wake up one day and realize, I've lost what really matters to me. And we then, we leave that situation. We move on. The problem is, though, when we do, we are carrying, we're like a guy, you know, like a car you see going down the road with a U-Haul trailer. Uh, I saw, back when we lived in California, and we'd go back and forth on I-40 or whatever uh, route we were taking there, the north or the south route, and uh, we... You'd go along, and once in a while, you'd see a little sports car, like a little Mazda Miata, and it would be pulling this trailer that the Mazda could fit in. And uh, they'd be towing this U-Haul, and it'd be some single girl or single guy, you know? And uh, you'd think, wow, how did that, that single person commute or collect all that stuff? Well, a good chance is they'd been through a divorce, and now they were trying to start over. And uh, if we're not careful, see, when we go through things... Normally what happens, we wind up carrying a whole lot of stuff into the next relationship. And if we're not careful, we become like uh, some people where we have serial marriages. You know, we go from one to another to another. So we've been working in this series uh, to help you. And we've been working to help singles understand what marriage is all about, how, uh, how, what God's purpose in marriage is, the meaning of marriage, how to do it right, how to, how to build a good, happy, successful marriage. We've been talking to those that have good marriages and helping you to see how you can improve that. We've been speaking to those that have issues in their marriage, that your marriage is in trouble and either one or both of you know it. And usually both do, but one is willing to admit it, the other is not. That's normally the situation. 
and so that's not an unusual situation where one can tell you exactly where the relationship is and the other one uh, pretends to be clueless. Uh, <clears throat> and that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily a gender role there. It can be whoever. But uh, <clears throat> in all of those things, we've, or all of those scenarios, we've been endeavoring to teach things and point to critical certain issues, not to hit the high spots or you know, some little thing, an issue that someone may deal with, but we've been looking at the very core, the heart, at the very uh, crux of what marriage is all about, and also at the core of where its problems lie. And if we will deal with these core issues, uh, then we can solve these problems that we deal with in marriage. Uh, I told you that we based this teaching on uh, made the three, really, three sources. The three sources are, I, uh, number one, the Bible. Uh, we based it on the Bible, uh, and especially out of Ephesians 5. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about marriage, tells us a lot about marriage and parenting and home and all of that, and single life. It speaks to a lot of uh, the issues of where we live individually, uh, <clears throat> but uh, we really focused or drew a lot of it out of Ephesians 5. Secondly, uh, we drew it, I said, from personal experience. Denise and I, this August, will have been married 47 years, and it has not been a rose garden. Uh, Sometimes, if it was, there was a whole lot. Sometimes it was mainly briars, other times it was roses. Uh, it's been, you know, we've walked through a lot of things. We've walked through a lot of issues. We've walked through situations where we were going to get a divorce in the early days of our marriage. After just a few years of marriage, we knew we had to end this thing. But we worked through the issues. We've worked through a lot of things that people say, this is the end of it. We can't do this. But we were able to work through them. And going through that, made us even stronger. It's the old saying, you know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And uh, I will just say this to any of you and to all of you, that don't spend your life running from what's tough. Because if you do, you'll never be tough enough to face life. The only way you're going to, you know, some of the things that happen to us, and the only way you're going to be able to make it through life victoriously, is you're going to have to go through some things so you get tough enough to make it. All right? Uh, I remember watching a movie, and it was a, the story of how California wine growers got on the map globally in the wine industry, and they one year won the award as the top, some of the top wines, which blew France away and Europe away because California was considered, uh, you know, like, uh, just trailer trash. I mean, in the wine world, they were, uh, you know, don't, I'm not speaking against trailers. I'm talking about a, just a saying. They were considered, you know, ignorant uh, Americans. But they actually developed wines that were a world standard. And now California has recognized their wines are, many of them, a world standard. Well, uh, in this movie, this young fella, his uh, this father was teaching the son about wine and he was, you know, how to, how to grow the wine. And the son said, Dad, we need to water this ground a lot more. It's too harsh and dry. And he said, no, something you've got to learn. He said, the best and sweetest wine always comes through soil or from vines that had to fight for what they needed. Isn't that something? I heard that line. Now, I can't tell you anything in the rest of the movie, but that line really stuck with me. And I told Denise, I said, boy, that is life, isn't it? We've seen that. And I'm going to tell you what, some of the best marriages come from those that had to fight through some tough times. So don't, you know, when you go through tough times, that's not the time to quit. That's the time to dig in and employ skills, the knowledge and information we been giving you and that you can find in other resources to be able to build a marriage. Our final, the other resource I've really used a lot, and I want to encourage every one of you to get this book. Uh, it is called, it's by Timothy Keller. He's a pastor in his 70s up in uh, the New York City area. And the name of the book is The Meaning of Marriage. We have a book table up there. Uh, and after service, you can go see my uh, administrative assistant, Rosie Brock. 
she'll be up there and she'll be able to, uh, 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 you can purchase some of the books that we have on marriage. Get information. If you really want something to work, get information. Listen, the only thing that works automatic in this world is, when you're talking about things growing, is weeds. Weeds grow automatic. If you don't believe me, get your little area, plow it up, till it where the soil is good. So that what was growing there isn't they're growing there now. And they just leave it alone. Leave it alone and come back and see what happens in that plot of land. You won't grow tomatoes. You won't find corn. You won't find roses. You know what you'll find? I'm sorry? Weeds. That tells us a lot about life. And if you put a marriage on automatic, if you think, well, it's just natural. You know, people ought to love one another, and that ought to be enough. And we're in love. We're married. And you know what? Your marriage is going to grow? You got it. Your marriage will grow weeds. I want to read out of Ephesians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. In verse 33... The Apostle Paul says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so Paul ends that chapter that we had been focusing or drawing most of our teaching out of in Ephesians 5. Today I want us to look at I want to talk to you for a few moments about the skill set of marriage or the marriage skill set. The skill set of marriage. In other words, what set of skills do you have to have? Not it'd be nice to have, but if you have to have a set of skills if you're going to make it in marriage. Now let me say this. This set of skills is true for any relationship. It is really, we could say, the relationship skill set. But nothing, nowhere any stronger and is it even any more evident than in marriage. Why? Because marriage is a very close relationship that puts two people in such a close proximity in their life that it If there's any problems, if you have relationship problems, they are going to be exposed. It won't create the problems, but it will definitely expose the problems. Marriage does not create our problems. The only thing marriage does because it's such a close relationship is that it exposes the problems. Now, there could be an exception to that to where that a couple gets married and the guy gets shipped off overseas or the woman gets shipped off overseas and they're never together. That's why Denise and I lasted the first four years. Had I not been in the military and gone in the Navy all the time, away from home, we would not have lasted a year. But because we were not together, we would be together when I'd get come home for just a few weeks, and then I was back overseas. And so you know what happened when I was home? We were back on honeymoon at first. And I'm going to tell you what, our time span of good to bad, when it, you know, it moved from good to bad, the window got smaller and smaller, I noticed. At first, I could be home a month and we were okay. Then it got to where if I was home more than three weeks, we were in trouble. Then it got to where after a few days, it was rough. And so the only reason we lasted four years is because we were separated. Uh, most of the time, we probably were separated three years and nine months or eight months out of the four. <clears throat> but marriage does not create problems or personal issues. It reveals them. And it can magnify them and it can create severe wounds with them if we don't understand how to do marriage. Life is not a guessing game. It's not a game where we, you and I never know what to do or how to succeed. Some people consider 
success uh, in life, whether in finances or anything. Uh, some people have the idea, well, if you're born in a certain family or you're born in a certain place or born into a certain situation, success is pretty easy for you. But if you're not, man, it's just who knows. Uh, and other people feel like, well, it's kind of like uh, the luck of the draw. Some people are just lucky. And then others believe that some people are destined to be successful and others are not. But really, success is not uh, a mystery. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of mysteries that are in life, but success is a pretty obvious thing. And here's something you need to understand. Success always leaves clues. Success always leaves clues so that others will know how to succeed. Why is success that way? Because God wants all of us to have good success, the Bible says. He wants you to have a good life. He wants your life to be fruitful, to be good, to be happy, to be blessed. God desires good for us. So God has designed life for success. He did not design it for failure. God is not against you trying to make you earn your success. There's no earning of success. There is simply understanding the skills and then applying them. If you went and got in a plane, a single engine, a, a twin, say a, a single engine plane, and you went and started up and started taxing out and you took off, if you were able to land that thing, you know what, the FAA would be on you, you'd be in trouble because you don't have a license. And the reason for that is because they understand there are a certain set of skills. Flying is not some people were born to do it. Flying is not, well, you just kind of know how. No, it is a set of skills, like learning to work a computer, like learning algebra or geometry or uh, learning French or any other thing. You say, only French people can know how to speak French because they were born in France. How many of you know how to speak French in here? Okay. Were you born in France? Nope. But you can speak French. You know why? Because you studied it and you learned how. Listen, my friend, you can learn anything. And that's why pilots have to be trained and carry. I don't have my wallet on me, but I have a pilot certificate or, uh, you know, uh, what they call your ticket to learn. Uh, <clears throat> but you, in life, whatever it is you want to do, Learn the skills for success in that, and then master them. Albert Einstein said this. He said, learn the rules of the game, and then master the rules and do, them be do it better than anybody else, and you'll be a success at anything. You'll lead and be the best there is at anything. All right. For anything we do in life, there are required skills that are specific. Once you learn those skills and master them, you can know you will always succeed at whatever your endeavor is. This is liberating to me. It helps me to know, you know what, if marriage is tough, if it's not good, or if I'm afraid to get married, I'm married, I'm a young guy or a young lady, and I don't, I'm just not sure about it because I see so many of my friends or maybe my family divorced and had a lot of marriage problems, and I just think, I don't want to get in this, you know, because... I mean, if they failed, what am I going to do? I can't do any better than them. Yes, you can. You can. I mean, if you'd learn, you had to learn how to drive a car. You had to pass a driver's test. You can, you can learn how to do anything. You learned how to do the multiplication tables. You learned that. You weren't born and come out of your mommy's tummy and suddenly said, two times two is four. Four times four is 16. You know, you learned that. You actually memorized it, you know? And that's what you do in learning skill sets. How do you, how do you build a house? A carpenter isn't gifted to where he, he's born knowing how to build a house. He learns how to do it, all right? 
once we learn the skills that are necessary, we master them, we can succeed in whatever we're doing. And marriage is the same. There is a set of skills that are required to succeed in marriage. Once you learn these, then just apply them. I'm going to say that again. Once you learn these skills and develop them personally in your life, then all you've got to do is start applying them in your marriage, and I guarantee you, you will build a good marriage if the other party is willing to cooperate. Now, I have to put that disclaimer in there because marriage is a relationship with two people, not one. All right. Now, these, you're going to, when I give them to you, you're going to think, oh, you mean I came to hear this? I, I know that. Well, then why aren't you doing it? Um, <clears throat> they're very simple, but they're very powerful. Let's look at them. Number one, the first skill set. The first skill you need to develop, you have to develop, if you're going to have a good relationship, is truth. T-R-U-T-H. I know you wanted some deep, psychological, mysterious thing that suddenly caused a light to go on. That's not where power and, and information and the ability to succeed at anything dwells. You want to succeed in real estate? It's pretty simple. You want to receive, succeed at at uh, investing. It's fairly simple. You want to succeed at marriage. It's fairly simple. You just got to learn what the skills are and then work those things over and over again. Truth. The cornerstone of any marriage is trust. The cornerstone of any marriage is trust. Without it, hardly any marriage will succeed. It is virtually impossible for a marriage to make it when one party alone or both, when there is not trust on the parts of both, on the, in the heart of both people. Trust is never owed. Because I married Denise, she didn't owe me trust. And I didn't owe it to her. When you marry someone, you, they do not owe you trust. The old guy, you know, saying, you know, you, you're seeing the movies, you or heard the saying years ago when someone, they, you know, a couple would be there and, and the woman would say, he doesn't love me. And he'd say, I told you that 20 years ago when I married you. You know, and, and supposedly, you know, she's supposed to know that. See, we don't owe anyone in this. Uh, they don't, we don't owe them trust. They don't owe us trust. We have to earn it. And it's earned... Let me tell you how you earn trust in a relationship. By purposely, intentionally demonstrating truth. Now, truth is demonstrated in several ways. And one of the first ways you need to learn to demonstrate truth is in your conversation and what you say. And the Bible speaks of this, says that our conversation should be true. We should no longer speak lies, but speak tr the truth in love. We need to speak the truth in love, all right? That we speak truth. We give truth, all right? Now, let's say, look at this. We're talking about building trust and that the skill set, the first skill set for marriage is truth. So that means in my conversation, I'm going to be true. I'm not going to say I'm not going to hide things. I'm not going to be deceptive. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be truthful. You've got to be truthful. Now, some of you say, but I'm scared to be truthful because she or he will attack me if they know the truth. Well, then that even gives a bigger reason for open, honest communication where you sit down and you set some ground rules and say, listen, I want us to talk about something. And I'm going to, I want to share something with you. But before we do, I've got to know that we're going to play by the same rules here. I'm going to open my heart and share with you. And the reason I want to do this is because I love you and I really want this to make it. And I do not want any hidden things. I want to be completely open and honest with you, and I want to be truthful so you know everything. Now, 
let me just stop for a moment there. If your mate does not like that and doesn't want to hear that, then I would suggest the two of you get some counseling if you're going to try to make it marriage. Because if, if you decide, the two of you, if there is an impasse in your ability to be honest with each other and to talk truth, then your marriage will not make it. If your mate cannot hear the truth or you can't tell the truth, then you're not going to make it. And if you want that thing to work, then you need to right then say, well, then here's what I'd like for us to do. Let's go for counseling. And here's what some of you would say. I can't afford to go for counseling. Well, here's what you just told me. Other things are more important than the marriage, so why not just go ahead and get a divorce anyway then? Because you've just said having that car is more important than the marriage. I'd sell the car to save my marriage. A house payment is too much for us to get counseling. I'd downsize the house. I'd move from a four-bedroom or a three-bedroom to a two- or one-bedroom, if I had to, to save the marriage. So you see, right there, by how I react to that, I've shared truth. If, if I say, if I, my mate says, we need to go for counseling, I say, that's too expensive I have just given truth. The truth is, we don't matter as much as this does. This is more important than you and me. So truth all of a sudden becomes a reality to your mate that they say, well, why are we even doing this? But I would suggest you get counseling. But if she agrees or he agrees and says, okay, we can be honest, we can talk. And then you say, like we told you last week, you say, I'm going to say some things that are going to be outside. And I ask you not to attack me. But also if I say something to you that's hurtful, it's not my intention. And the reason you need to explain these ground rules is because when we venture into the realm of truth, most people do not live in truth. Most relationships do not exist in truth. They exist at a surface area. Because truth is like, well, it is disrobing yourself and walking out in public. And the apparel industry in any country is a major industry because the last thing we want the public to know is the truth. So we work very hard at covering ourselves up as best we can. And in marriage, we take that same thing where we cover ourselves up and we're not willing I'm not talking about, yeah, let's, get, let's take our clothes off, get nude, and have sex. I'm talking about let's get real. Let's take off our facades, our mask, all of these things that we've got, layers that we've built up from childhood. Every time something happens, every time we do tell the truth, and suddenly it costs us, we chop down the cherry tree. We go and say, I have to admit, I chopped down the cherry tree. And instead of everybody saying, you're so truthful, they put us in timeout or they kick us out of school or we're expelled or, or we're in trouble or whatever happens, then all of a sudden we say, okay, I understand. This world does not relate to truth, so I'll just pretend. Now, my friend, listen, you cannot live in the realm of pretend. You cannot live in the realm of falsehood because after a while, that's like a balancing act where you're spinning plates. You're going to get too many. And you see, the trouble is, even if you tell the truth on this one, you realize there's a seed of, of, of dishonesty in all of it because that's how you're living. And so all you're doing is keeping the plates going of all your stories and all your life and the way you are. And before you know it, you just say, I can't do this anymore. And they start falling. So you're going to have to get honest, be honest, sit down and talk and say, I want us to be, truth with, to be truthful with each other. That is the beginning point. That is the cornerstone. If you won't do that, then the other skill sets really won't work either. But be honest. It's open communication. And sit there and open up and say, I've, been a, I've not wanted to say this. I've not wanted to open up and share. But here's me. Here's the real me. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to be loved for me, not for who I pretend to be or how I pretend to be or what I look like or what I act like because I want it to be me. I want someone in this world to love me 
to love me, the me I am, to be free, to know I've got a place of safety, a safe harbor, a, a, a comfortable, safe place where I can go into it and there I am believed in, I'm loved unconditionally, I'm accepted for who I am. I'm telling you what, that is a powerful, powerful thing. When you know you are loved totally and honestly for who you are, it is one of the most empowering things there is in all of the universe. You understand? It kind of helps you even understand more when, why God said it is not good that man should be alone. Because he, to have someone love you for who you are, not how you look or try to appear or try to be, when your swag is not on, you rather limp, you got a gimp instead of a swag, and they still love you. That's empowering, man. That's empowering. And it needs to be in marriage. Okay. You must demonstrate it first in, in what you say. Okay. Demonstrate truth in what you say. Are you with me? So I'm gonna, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk true. Now, listen, guys. You don't necessarily eat the elephant all at once. If you've never done this, you don't sit down and spill all the beans. Because you probably, here's what, you know, if you are doing that, you're saying, here, I want to give you something to drink. Hit it, guys! And you got a fire hose. And you're going to blow their head off. Really, you're going to blow their heart out. So, if you want to do this, you sit down and begin to work towards it. And you don't do it, it's not a one-time thing. You sit down and you begin to talk truth. And I'm going to tell you what, every time you do it, you know what you're doing? You're building, I'm telling you, you're building a castle of peace and joy and happiness. It's like every time you talk, everything you say, it's like a stone in that castle that you're going to both be able to enjoy. It's a fortress of safety also against the facade and the, the untruth of the world. So you demonstrate it in what you say, and then you've got to demonstrate it in what you do. What do you mean by that? That what you do is what you've been saying, and that you do what is true to you. One of the core values of our church is authenticity. Do you know what that means? We're not going to try to be somebody else. We're going to be authentic to who we are. We're going to be authentic to who we are. And please don't get upset. But at the end of the day, to a great degree, it's got to be authentic to me. Because I happen to be the one that's got the hand on the helm of the ship. And so, you know, I'm actually under God setting the course. You know, we're do, we don't take a vote every day where this ocean liner is going. You know, uh, just like you get on a cruise even for a vacation. You don't decide the ports they go to. You're going to go where their uh, route is, the planned route. You get on an airplane. There's already a, a flight plan that they have already determined. You follow that. But we must be authentic, and you and your marriage must be authentic to who you are. Your mate needs to see that when you're out with other couples or on your job or wherever you may be, that you're authentic. Now, you say, well, he or she won't see me on my job. Well, here's the thing we do. All of us use logic to a certain degree, and we surmise this. If they're honest here with me, I see them honest with the next door neighbor. I see them honest when we're at the grocery store. I see them truthful and authentic and that, then what we do is we surmise, in other words, we give you some collateral or equity. We borrow on the equity of what we've seen you do, and we loan that over to what we can't see you do. But you've got to understand, it's a loan. 
And that the first time we get an inkling that you're some way other, you, you're not truthful in what you do over there like you are here, then all of a sudden, all that collateral is gone. Do, you, do I make sense to you? And suddenly, you owe the loan. The note's going to be called, and you're going to have to answer for it. So, what must you do? You must demonstrate truth in what you say and what you do and in who you are, and if you'll come in who you are. If you commit to each other that you will always be truthful, you will live out truth, and we need to help one another. When you start doing this, each mate needs to have the ability to say to the other mate, to say, now wait a minute, what you just did, like if you're out with a couple and, and say the guy starts acting a certain way, he's a little... You know, all of a sudden he's gotten, he's flirtatious with the waitress and flirtatious with, and I'm just saying, you know, and maybe that's an aspect of truth that you have settled and you guys have discussed that and in your conversation we say, okay, this is, this, you're able to say, this is the husband I want, he's able to say, this is the wife I want, and you begin to explain to each other so you're looking at the same images that each one is working towards and you're on the same page. Well, if all of a sudden... The guy, they're out, and he starts acting a certain way and doing a certain thing that is in contradiction to who you said to be. Then all of a sudden, you've violated trust. You've been untruthful. And that's when immediately the mate, the other, should be truthful and say, on the way home or at some point, say, you know, tonight, And Denise does this with me, and I try to do it with her, and I appreciate it. Because I don't want to be a phony. I want to be true all the time. And, you know, on the way home, say, you know, the the way you acted, the things you said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know about you, but I can get real macho. I mean, it's like, what are you you talking about? And, of course, tone and communication, we're teaching on communication, tone is a big deal. For especially for ladies, they read tone a lot better than guys do. We're tone deaf. But you know, like, what do you mean? Here's what you did, and we know in our heart I shouldn't have done that. And here's, but then instead of attacking, say, you know what? That's not who you are. Now that statement right there, guy or ladies and gentlemen. It's a powerful statement because you remember what I talked about, how the, the empowering ability to be loved by someone for who you are. And we take that and we embrace that. We don't want to let go of that. And when you say that statement, because that's not who you are, you've got my attention because I'm not wanting to lose that being loved for who I am. You see what I'm saying? All right. Uh, Number two, unconditional love. The first skill set is truth. The second skill set is unconditional love. What is unconditional love? It is love without the strings attached. Love without the strings attached. It is unearned love. It is simply loving someone because you do. Now that is amazing. And God, that's the way God loves. God doesn't love you because you've committed your life to him. God doesn't love you more when you do good and less when you do bad. God loves you the same. Now there are consequences, uh, but he doesn't stop loving you. God loves you. He loves the unlovely. Okay? He loves the good or the bad. And this kind of love is not a feeling. It has feeling, but it's much deeper than feeling. It is is a decision, a choice we make deep down inside us to love this person unconditionally. And I'm going to tell you what. If you want to stay, if you want to know how to make marriage last a long time, then you need to start now because your mate along with you, are going to go through a lot of changes physically as you get older. And when you're in your 70s or 80s, she's not and he's not. 
the young fella at 25. They don't look the same, act the same, can't do the same. All right? But if you've not made a choice, then as they begin to get older, you're going to think, I need someone younger. But if we have unconditional love, that, there, that is love that is not because of how a person looks, acts, or anything. It's we love them unconditionally. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians. We're going to take time to do it. 13 verses 4 through 7. I encourage you to read it there in the, uh, in, uh, the version I like. It's an NLT because it really uh, it helps you to see. And if you say, what, is, what did the uh, Vickers mean when he said unconditional love? What is he talking about? Right there, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You read that, and that's how you're to be with your mate. And if you practice that, the very depths of your mate's heart will open to you like a flower. I also encourage you to read the book, uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. We have it there at the book table. It helps you understand the love language because we all have a... Uh, you know, there's one of five love languages that each of us have. What does that mean? It's how we call, what we call love. Denise and I have a different love language. She has one, I have a different one. And I had to learn hers because if I try to love her like I enjoy love, what love means to me, to her it's not love. So I've got to learn what is love to her. And I, when I discovered hers, then I knew how to, and I'm not talking about, you know, the sex part. I'm talking about in the life, the marriage part, when learning how to do that. All right, the final one is this. So it's truth, unconditional love, and grace is the third one. Grace. Grace is defined as mercy. Now, let me back up. Grace sounds religious, I know. But it is, an, it is an aspect of life that when it is given, it is an unbelievably precious, invaluable. You cannot uh, understand the value of what grace given from one individual to another, what it does for them. It's such a powerful thing. Each one of these things are so amazingly powerful. Truth, unconditional love. To love someone for who they are unconditionally, that's powerful. And grace. Grace is defined as mercy, forgiveness, goodness, kindness, and favor. All of these wrapped up together together, and given to someone who is undeserving. Isn't that beautiful? Forty-something years ago, I, can, I got saved 40-something years ago and uh, confessed to Denise things that I'd done in the first four years of our marriage. I had been unfaithful. I had committed adultery. I had not been true to who I pretended to be. I lived another life separate from her. And Denise gave me grace. Now, we don't have time to get into all what happened sometime. Perhaps maybe she and I'll just, uh, we, at our next marriage thing, maybe we'll take one session and just share our story and let you hear that. Especially from her viewpoint, but also from mine. Uh, when Denise and it took a while. It didn't happen immediately. But when she made the decision to commit to our marriage, to make our marriage work, and not to go start over with someone else, she treated me. Now listen to this. And I want every one of you to hear this. Denise treated me at, from that moment to this very moment. From that moment until this very moment. Denise treated me as though nothing had ever been done wrong. Never once in a dis argument or discussion 
did she all of a sudden drag it up and say, well, there's no wonder because look at the man you were. And you're still that man and you'll never change. That's not grace. That's, that's saying judgment is still here. I haven't cut the, I haven't released it on you yet, but judgment is over your head. I was guilty, but I couldn't live under judgment. I had to either, she had to either go ahead and exercise the judgment or give me grace. There is no in between. Either divorce me and let's both move on or the judgment is gone. There must be grace. Denise acted as if nothing had ever happened. That was powerful. Now listen to this. When she did that, she not only set me free from the penalty of my wrong, which would have been her getting a divorce. She had the right to get a divorce. But she set me free from that penalty. But she also set me free, personally, from the guilt of what I had done wrong. Because guilt is a cancer that eats at us. And if I war with guilt, if I let guilt eat at me, eventually... I will begin to act like I'm guilty. If I'm always going to feel guilty, if I'm always going to be made to feel guilty, then eventually I'm going to go ahead and say, okay, then I'm going to be guilty. And I'd go, I would have gone right back into doing what I'd done before. But see, there was no guilt. There was no cloud hanging over my head or our marriage. It never entered our marriage again. When Denise did that, she freed me not only from the past, but for the future. You realize what I just said? When Denise gave me grace, and you listen, when your mate wrongs you, you either do one of two things. You either judge them and say, it's over, it's finished, and go on. I mean, be real about this. Judge them and say, that's it. Or either give them grace and say, I forgive you. Now, Denise didn't forgive somebody that didn't admit to it. I'm talking about the other party. The guilty party has got to say, I was wrong. Because if I had said, I didn't do nothing. Or that's your problem. You know what? There's nothing wrong with what I did. Well, then the handwriting is on the wall. She should divorce me. Because you don't give grace to someone like that. God doesn't give grace to unrepentant people. If I refuse to turn from my sin, God doesn't give me grace for my sin. But if I will turn and say, God, I'm sorry, I know I did this, and I confess it. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In other words, to God, once we confess it to God, it's as though we never did it. And He can't remember it. And the only fair thing to do is either be judgmental or give grace. Okay. When we refuse to deal with each other with grace, we not only bind ourselves to the past, but we deny ourselves a future. But when we treat each other with grace, we are giving to our mate what God freely gave us. The law and legalism create bondage and death, but grace gives life and frees us. Truth, love, grace. These are, that's the skill set. It's very simple, but I'm going to tell you what. It's very few people I ever see, very few couples I ever see do this. And those that I have seen, Denise and I have seen do this, employ those three skills just like a pilot, just like a race car driver, just like a, a major league uh, professional player, applying their skill set diligently, intentionally so that they can be good at it. They can succeed. The ones that Denise and I have met that do that, live that, their marriages are wonderful. They're good. They go through things. But you always know, man, they're going to make it because they're using the skill set that it takes for a good marriage. All right. Awesome. Well, 
Thank you very much. Well, uh, we, uh, if you have not texted in your questions, or if you weren't here earlier, you might have missed the announcement. Uh, we are doing a Q&A today. Uh, so if you have not yet done so, pull out your cell phone and uh, text fixing us, all one word, to 313131. You'll receive a reply back, and then you, from that point on, just text in your question. And uh, I'm going to read off questions here, and Pastor is going to answer your questions. So this ought to be fun and interesting. Okay, here's a good one to start off with. Someone asked, is there a place that you should be spiritually, physically, or emotionally before you consider marriage? Uh, well, professionally, and if you want to speak, you know, perfectly, absolutely, you know, you need to be a perfect person in a perfect place with a perfect house, a perfect bank account, a uh, perfect uh, size, uh, and uh, I think we've disqualified everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think we really make that too hard. Um, I believe this, that two people <clears throat> that meet and you've, you start sensing the chemistry. Now, guys, let me say, in much of the world today and much in our society, sex is thrown in so soon that it really confuses the chemistry. And so we think because that is there and we're enjoying that, that we have the right chemistry and that's why so many people, their marriage, that's the cornerstone of their marriage, not a relationship, not building some trust and not some commonality in who we are, where we want to go in life. you know, I cannot tell you the numbers of people that have said in the office back when Denise and I used to do marriage counseling a lot. And they would sit there and they would outright say, both of them say, well, the sex started out great and it's still great. We just hate each other. <laughs> and they said, I mean, but the sex is great. And what we helped them to see is, well, the reason it's great is because that's probably what you started it on. You built it on that and that's been the cornerstone of your marriage. So you never had a relationship. You had a physical act that kept you together. And I said, guys, I said, don't get offended, but you realize dogs do that. And that's what their relationship is built upon as far as male and female. And I said, but you're supposed to be more than that. And I said, now, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to learn to build it on something that matters, that really is greater than some physical act. Now, don't get me wrong, guys, I love sex, but it's not, it is not the heart and the core of Denise's and my relationship. Yeah. I would say this, talk, communicate, go out and have fun that was out without the strings of, I've got to have sex, we've got to have sex. Go out and communicate and, and say, begin to find out what each other likes, what each other, where they want to go in life. I'll tell you what. Do you want to go to the same place in life? Do you have some of the same values? That's what's real critical there. I could go on and on. Yeah, I've got that actually on that topic. There's a really good question here. This is a pretty serious one. When cultivating an already longstanding relationship, heading towards an engagement to start walking with God, how do you remove premarital sex from the relationship? As a rape victim... Sex has meant many different things to me at different times. I don't know if I can feel secure in this relationship with this amazing man without sexual intimacy. Please help. Exactly, and I totally understand that. And that's, uh, I mean, probably sometime, uh, if you'll remind me about this, sometime Mother and I probably need to do a series just on sex, and it would be adult-only people that are allowed uh, but uh, because it is so misunderstood, it is one of the most wonderful things God created. He created. I mean, if any of you like it, if you've ever tried it and you liked it, you say, 
wow, I like this. You know, like uh, Steve Martin in The Jerk. I found my calling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, you understand, I mean, it's like a guy, an older man told me a long time ago, you were asking about sex, and, and, and I said, we were trying, you know, okay, as a Christian and all this. He said, son, I'm going to tell you what. He said, if God made anything better than sex, he kept it for himself. And uh, so sex is wonderful. It is. But it is such a powerful thing. How do you, when a marriage or when a relationship has been very involved in that, and there are issues at play there that go deeper than sex, the act. They go into the soul and the very spirit of the individual. If you really love each other, the, I assume the, the girl is the one that's saying that because of the fact of it being raped. What I would say is sit down with your mate, the one that you want to marry, and express to them how you feel, where you are, and say, but I would like for our, I want to build a future, but I want to make sure that sex doesn't confuse it. Do you love me enough? Do we love each other enough to say no and back away from that, but start to build a relationship, now hear me, that doesn't just intertwine our bodies? Because see, here's, listen, sex is a physical thing that moves into the soulish and into the spirit. Do you see the, the, the progression there? Okay, so when we get involved in that, where the physical act becomes the doorway into the soul and into the spirit. And the trouble is, if that's all we know, then that's the only way we can get, open up our soul or get into our mate's soul and spirit is through doing the physical act. That's when you hear couples say, well, we don't have sex anymore, and they've lost the soul of marriage. Because sex was the only door they had into the soul. If you'll back away from that, God has created man and woman to where you can learn, you can get into the spirit and soul and learn and build a relationship there. And then when you go into sex, from there, I'm telling you, if you think sex is good before, it's like, Oh, my God. This is heaven. And I don't want to leave. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm serious. But see, the sad thing in America now, so many couples, so many relationships will never discover that. Because sex is the doorway. When really, the heart should be the doorway. And sex should be the room we go into. You see the difference? But sit down, communicate, and we've walked. I mean, I cannot tell you. There have literally been untold dozens and probably hundreds of couples that have been in this church, some are still in it, that came in in that way. And they, we didn't tell them they had to. They've come to us and said, you know, we've been having sex now. We're, we've been living together. And, but now we really want to build a godly relationship and we want this, and so help us to do this. And when we've shared with them these things and we try to help them understand, you're, you're, you're really missing the powerful, glory, euphoric aspect of sex because of what's happened, the way you're doing it. But you can change it, and God is gracious. God lets us start over. See, and they will tell you, man, it's, it's just phenomenal. Uh, we're getting a couple different questions, and I'll just kind of roll them into one because they're all the same topic, about uh, past offenses in a marriage. Uh, one person asks, um, any tips or tricks for not bringing up the past in the heat of an argument, especially if the offense was repeated? Another person asks, uh, what do you do uh, when your spouse refuses to acknowledge the hurts caused by him or her yet wants you to move forward? Okay, uh, let me start with the last question first, and then you cannot move forward. Uh, you cannot move forward. 
when there is a refusal, when someone, if I hurt Denise, but I refuse to acknowledge it, I refuse to own my wrong. Uh, I refuse, that's a person that refuses responsibility. And let me tell you, you don't want to be in a relationship with someone that is irresponsible or refuses responsibility. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to be carry all the responsibility in that relationship from this day to the day you die. And all your life is going to be is a heavier laden burden. You're going to, it's going to get heavier and heavier because life has responsibilities. Actions have consequences and reactions. And there's all of that. And if you're the one that's going to carry it, you're going to have to carry all of it. It will kill you. So, if a person, another mate, will not own, our own judicial system requires you own it. You do the crime, be ready to do the time. You have to own things. Parents, teach your children responsibility. There ought to be consequences for wrong things. Teach them to own their own reactions. Teach them. That will help them immensely. Okay? But that's my baby. Yeah, but your baby going to wind up in jail if you know, or in trouble if you don't teach him to own his responsibilities. If you're in a mate or have a relationship with a mate, they don't own it. That's the beginning place. If they refuse to own it, you need to sit down with them and say, listen, if we're going to make it, if we're going to move past this point, there's going to have to be an ability and an ownership on your part of, I did this and I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And if you can't do that, we're not going any further. Now, what you've got to deal with is your own self-identity, your self-esteem, your self-image. Are you so codependent that they can treat you like that, but you're afraid to get out of the marriage because you need their love to make you feel like a person? Then you've got some issues. You with me? So open communication. Now, if you can't do that, there are some people uh, that can help you. Walt and Teresa, I mean, Denise and I'll sit down, you know, uh, you know, rare occasions, but it has to go through filters of other people before it gets to us. Otherwise, that's all we'd ever do. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> but you need some help in that. Second, first question was? Uh, first one was, uh, any tips or tricks for not bringing up the past in the heat of the argument? Great question. I'm probably going to have to end with this unless there's another really home run question there. These are all been fantastic. Um, yes, there are. And it really begins internally with yourself, but it's going to have to involve your mate also uh, if you're going to really make it work. How it begins internally with you is this, is that you make a commitment between you and the Lord that you're saying, God, as you have forgiven me, and when God forgave you, anything you did, he does not even remember it. The Bible says he chooses, he chooses to take it and to throw it as far as the east is from the west, and that's infinity. So it's never to be remembered again. Now, God does that. That's the way he forgives. And here's what you have to do. Say, God, help me. You remember Denise said, she prayed a little prayer, God, it hurts, take the hurt away. You remember, some of you were here when she shared about that? Take the hurt away. And see, she was talking to God because she was saying, God, even though I won't, I'm willing to forgive Steve, the trouble is, I'll never forget. And it'll always be there. And if he drives some way I don't like, I'm going to hammer him with that. In other words, the hammer she'd pick up about why are you driving so fast would be the hammer of, this is who you are. And she said, you got to take the hurt away. And I'm telling you this, see, God will take that out. He will supernaturally reach down and take it out. And it is a supernatural thing, just like the blind being healed and their eyes open to the deaf being healed and suddenly they can hear a crippled person walking. It's just as miraculous. God can take the hurt away if you're willing. Now, here's what we do. Let's be honest. We hold on to the hurt. We don't want to give it all up because if I do, then they don't have to pay. If I give it up, it's as if it didn't matter. 
But it does matter. We feel like we're just saying it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. That's the importance of your mate owning it and saying, I did this. And, but that's the, the, your response is, okay, I'm willing to forgive and forget and we move on. And um, again, if you're having trouble doing that, Denise and I would be glad to talk to you and help you because there's some things you can employ. The next thing you need, within your own self, you determine that. And if you fail, hear me, if you fail with your mate, if you say, okay, God, I'm not going to, and then all of a sudden your mate, you know, she burns the breakfast. And you say, okay, I'm not surprised you burned the breakfast because you slept with that guy a year ago. Of course you're going to burn the breakfast. And he says, what does that got to do with the eggs? And, you, and here's, here's what you do. You two have an agreement to where the, you say to each other, if I fail, I don't want to do this, but if I do, you remember what, I, what was the first skill set? What is it? Truth. Truth. Okay, you operate that skill set that you say immediately, oh, wow, I'm sorry that came out of my mouth. The mate says, truth. That's okay. We'll work together. And it's fine. We're going to get past this. I'm going to help you, and we're going to help each other. I'm telling you, the two people doing that, if they came to me and said, we need counseling, I'd say, no, you don't. You got it going on. You're going to work through this because you got truth. You're being truthful with each other. You have love. You're loving, and you're letting grace do its work. Hear me. When we talk about the skill sets, We're talking about a process, not an event. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.